Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. And um, my wife and I, Sarah Beth, we're so thankful to be here. Um, it really is such a joy, an honor, a privilege to be with you guys again. Um, a lot can happen in a year's time. Amen. And um, you guys have got a brand new building, um, a brand new place to worship the Lord. And Isaac, if you can turn me down a little here, I'm just a little loud up here. Um, but you guys got a place god's work an incredible miracle um in our in our lives and just just to give you a little backstory if you have your bibles you can go ahead and you can begin to turn with me to the gospel of luke chapter number one the gospel of luke chapter number one and uh just to fill you in on a few of the details um as brandon was talking about just a moment ago so as he said back in 2017 um, my wife and I began to pastor a church in Mississippi. We moved from Baton Rouge to Mississippi. And um, not long after beginning to pastor in 2017, my wife um, became just very, very ill. And at the time, we were not exactly aware of what she was dealing with, but she was dealing with Lyme disease and brainstem compression, we would later find out. By the end of the year, by the end of 2017, going into 2018, um, her illness had become so severe that she actually completely lost her ability to walk. Um, and for the next few years, she was confined totally and completely to a wheelchair. Over the next couple of years, we sought doctors and physicians literally all over the country. Um, my in-laws who are here with us this morning, throughout all of it, supported us and um, helped us and my family and so many of our friends trying to find physicians and doctors all over the country to figure out what was going on. And then once finding out what was really going on, trying to get it dealt with. And for the next two and a half years, we just, we found no relief. There was no remedy. And so in the middle of 2019, because of, of her illness and just trying to balance pastoring a church and taking care of her and, and the children, we just made the decision to step down um, from pastoring and move back home to uh, Baton Rouge. And, and so at this time, this was 2019, we were just kind of in a place of not really knowing what God was doing with our lives. She was still very ill. I felt like I had little to no direction as it concerned ministry or what God was calling me to do in that season. And for the next year, we we spent uh, at our home church with Pastor Lee Ship, and, and they ministered to us so beautifully. But just in that time, God was dealing with us that um, transition was coming, change was coming. And so at the beginning 
uh, or the middle of 2020, last summer, uh, God began to deal with us and speak to us about moving to Pennsylvania um, to be a part of Summit International School of Ministry, which is the Bible School of, of Times Square Church in New York City. And um, I won't go into all the details just for the sake of time, but it just really, in the natural, it made little to no sense, you know, because everything in the natural was still very much the same. She was still very ill. Um, we still had very little direction concerning God's calling on our lives. And But by faith, we just did what we felt God put in our hearts to do. And we moved 18 hours from Baton Rouge to Grantville, Pennsylvania. And um, throughout the first couple of months there, it was actually a, a great struggle because we were no longer around family. We were no longer around close friends. And it was such a struggle to the point that we even considered just coming back home. Maybe we had missed God, you know, whatever the case. And But at the end of last year, we were spending some time with, with our pastors there in Pennsylvania, Pastors Carter and Teresa Conlin. And we were sitting there one night, and out of nowhere, Pastor Carter looked at me, and he said, Ross, this year, 2021, is going to be the year that Sarah Beth gets out of the wheelchair. Now, for me, this was astounding to hear. Because for three years, people had prayed for us. People had encouraged us. I mean, hundreds of people, I would say, anointed us with oil and believed God for healing. But this man of God who I respected and looked up to so much, he looked at us and he didn't say, I'm praying that she's going to get out of the wheelchair. He looked at us and said, this is the year God's spoken to me that she's going to get out of the wheelchair. In spite of everything that was taking place in the natural, we took that word to heart and we said, God, it's so hard to see that. It's so hard to believe it. But we just say yes to it. We, we, we give you our yes in spite of our doubts and in spite of our fears. About two months later, we were randomly, I say randomly because it's, it's what it seems. We, we obviously know it was the Lord, but we were introduced to a doctor who for the first time in six to seven years of seeing doctors began to understand things about her condition that no doctor had been able to diagnose and understand. And so at the beginning of this year, she began to see a little bit of improvement after seeing this doctor and doing some particular treatments. But by summertime, she was still in the wheelchair. Uh, she was still incapable of walking in her own strength or, or, or doing anything like that. And then one morning, it was July 22nd of this year, I was, we live on campus there at the school, which is about 200 yards away from where our, uh, the administration is a building is about 200 yards away from where we live. And I was in my office, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and I was working and all of a sudden I get a phone call and it's my wife. And on the other, on the other end of the line is my wife just weeping and sobbing just uncontrollably. And you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. When your wife calls you and the first thing you hear is crying, it's like either the kids are going nuts or somebody's dead, right? I mean, amen, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And so that my first reaction was like, oh my gosh, somebody in our family's, you know, in trouble, our kids, something, you know, crazy. And she, all she said was, you need to get home right now. And I'm like, what's going on? And she tells me I'm walking. And so I took off running from the administration building as fast as I could. And for the first time in three and a half years, whenever I got to our apartment that morning, I walked into the door 
and Sarabeth was walking from one end of the house to the other with her hands lifted, tears coming down her face, speaking in other tongues, just giving God praise. And you can ask her, I stood in the doorway. I didn't, I didn't make it out of the doorway for like 20 minutes. I mean, I was shocked. You know, I just stood there and watched her as she walked from one end of the house to the other, just praising God. And I'm like, what's, what happened? You know, what's going on? And, um, and so, you know, her story is, you know, she was there that morning feeling really rough and a lot of pain. And she said, you know, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to do my devotions and then I'm just going to, I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to wash dishes and, so she was in her wheelchair, she had praise and worship music on, and she was just washing the dishes. And out of nowhere, God said, it's time to stand up. Out of nowhere, the Lord just spoke to her and said, I want you to stand up and praise me. And she began to argue with the Lord as, you know, would be the natural response, like, Lord, it's been a long time since I've stood in my own strength. And and so at first, she she grabbed a hold to the kitchen counter, and she was standing up like that, and But finally, she said, Lord, you didn't tell me to stand up and hold on to the kitchen counter. She said, you told me to stand up and walk. And she said, Lord, if this is you, she said, I'm letting go of this counter. And if I fall, it's on you. (laughs) And she let go of the counter. And she, to her own testimony, she can tell it better than I can. But to her own testimony, she said, I don't know how long it was that I was actually walking around the house, maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes, she said, because I was so caught up, just enraptured by what God was doing. And she said, after, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, I finally came to myself and I'm like, I've got to call Ross. And, um, you know, since July 22nd, she's not used a wheelchair one single time. Stand up one more time. She's not used a walker one single time. She's been all over the place. I can't keep up with her, but I'm okay with that. And um, thank you. I love you so much. And um, I just honor her. And as Brandon said, the past few years have been uh, nothing short of eventful for us, but God has been gracious to us. And, And I can honestly say to you this morning that it's not been my great faith. It's not been my great resiliency or strength that has allowed us or given us the ability to endure and make it to where we are it's been the grace of God and I tell people even the day that she was healed I'll be very honest with you very transparent that even the day that she was healed I I was dealing with doubts and like wrestling with God is this real is this going to last is this really going to be permanent you know all of these doubts but yet God through it all was gracious to us and I, I just thank God can we just give God one more hand of praise this morning Hallelujah. He's been so good to us. I'm so thankful. And uh, I, I never would have dreamed that we would be walking in to a new building of yours and um, that we would not be wheeling in, but we'd be walking in. Amen. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number one. Pastor Brandon, thank you so much. Tessa, you guys, for having us. We love you so much. And. Um, just like him, I could literally take 30 minutes and talk about him, you know, how much I love him. And he's been such a strength to me over the past few years. And um, I'm indebted to him, to his sacrifice, his willingness to minister and to serve me in some of my lowest times. And, uh, you know, he's one of those people, and you know what I'm talking about. There are certain people in your life that it's not necess- not necessarily what they do or what they say. It's just... It's just being in their presence, you know, you feel encouraged, you feel stirred, 
you you feel challenged to want to be better than what you are and and that's how I see Pastor Brandon and so I just honor him I honor the leadership Pastor Daniel your wife of this house and thank you guys so much Renee Susie God bless you guys I didn't know you guys could get any better but it seems I come you get better and better and better and um, so God bless you guys I love you um, the Gospel of Luke chapter number one I want to speak to you. Perhaps this is a unique angle or a unique thought concerning the Christmas story. But I want to speak to you from the Gospel of Luke chapter number 1 concerning this thought. What if Mary had said no? What if Mary had said no? Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you with all of my heart for the opportunity, God, that you've given us to be here, for the opportunity you've given me this morning to minister to these, your people. Father, I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God, that rests upon us as your ministers, Father, to effectively, God, minister to the hearts of your people. And Lord, I do pray in the next few moments that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would, in fact, be so prevalent God, that every heart would be ministered to and stirred by the Spirit of God to believe that you can be God through their lives, even in a crooked and perverse generation. Father, I thank you, God, for your help that you'll give us today to see, to hear, and to receive everything that you intend for us to receive. And Father, when it's all said and done as we do now, We'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 1, beginning in verse 26, the Bible begins to tell us of Gabriel. Gabriel was an angel sent by God to the lowly city of Nazareth. And as was God's custom seen often throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, the reason for God's sending of an angel was to bring a message. It was always to make some formal announcement or to give direction to his people. And the message that Gabriel is about to bring from heaven to Nazareth is perhaps the most important message that Gabriel will ever deliver. His announcement, his message, his declaration is that the highly anticipated and long-awaited Messiah of Israel is now soon to come. There's no more waiting. There's no more pondering as to when he is going to come. His announcement is that the highly anticipated and long-awaited Savior of Israel is coming. Now for Israel, this is an announcement of earth-shaking proportions. Because for literally thousands of years, they have been anxiously awaiting this particular promise of God. Because for Israel, the coming of Messiah meant salvation. It meant an end to their suffering and their oppression. And it meant the bringing in of a brand new eternal and heavenly kingdom. For them, the coming of Messiah meant salvation. It meant rescue. It meant liberation. It meant deliverance in every single sense. This was the thing. This was the promise that they had longed for from the time of their father's temptation and fall all the way back in the garden of Eden. 
And so time this morning doesn't permit me to elaborate on all that this announcement would have meant for Israel. But suffice it to say, this was the announcement of all announcements. And you would think that to herald such a declaration, to communicate such a message, God would have sent His highest messenger. God would have sent His servant Gabriel to Jerusalem. You would think that God would have sent Gabriel to some religiously elite man of the ruling class. That God would have sent him to someone of affluence with a large sphere of influence in the society of that day. You would think that God would have sent Gabriel to someone with great prestige or with great power. But the Bible actually tells us that God doesn't send Gabriel to Jerusalem. He doesn't send him to one of the religious leaders of the day. He doesn't send him to one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, one of the temple rulers. Actually, God sends Gabriel to Nazareth and to a woman. Now, at first glance, it may not seem very shocking to you, but just doing a little bit of background work concerning the societal and cultural norms of the day, this is actually shocking. Because according to the societal norms of the day, Nazareth was considered a second-class town. You remember in John chapter 1, whenever they began to uh, discover that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, one of the disciples came running to Nathanael and said, we've found Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Nathaniel responds to that declaration uh, by saying, what good can come out of Nazareth? And so Nazareth was considered to be a lowly place. It was considered to be a second-class province in that time and in that hour. Not only was Nazareth considered a second-class town, but women were considered second-class citizens. And so both Nazareth, this lowly town, and women would have been considered inferior and incapable of fostering anything of heavenly magnitude or proportion. They would have been considered utterly inferior and totally incapable of fostering anything of heavenly magnitude or proportion. But you see, all throughout Scripture... God often uses despised people and places to further His plans in the earth. God often uses the least likely to do His greatest works. He often uses the least likely locations, the least likely of people, the least likely of resources to further His plan and His purposes in the earth. And this is exactly, I believe, what the writer of Luke is intending us to pick up on as we begin reading this story. That God chooses the least likely to do some of His greatest works. Not only does the angel make this astonishing announcement in Nazareth to a woman, but he goes on to tell this woman that her womb is going to be the avenue through which the Savior is literally brought into the world. 
She is going to be singularly responsible for carrying and birthing Israel's long-awaited Messiah. She, her life, would be the door, so to speak, through which the Savior of the world would come from heaven to earth. And you think what God has asked you to do is intimidating? Think about Mary. This is the Son of God. The promise of all promises. Favored by God, she is going to be the one who not only sees or announces His arrival, but the very one by the Spirit of God who makes it possible. And it would seem as though as the angel begins to make this declaration to this young girl, it seems as though Mary should have been terrified and absolutely frightened by this understanding. Because as we said, number one, she's a woman. They're considered second-class citizens. They're looked down upon in general. Secondly, she's engaged to be married, but she's still a virgin. And so even if she does give birth to this supposed Messiah, people are certainly going to think that she's had this baby out of wedlock, whether by Joseph, the man she's engaged to, or by somebody else. And so what little reputation that she actually has is at stake. And then thirdly, Mary is not only a woman, she's not only engaged and still a virgin, but according to historical records, Mary is actually of the peasantry class of the day. And so she is of the lowest and least regarded in society. If you can think of low in our society, think even lower, and that's what Mary would have been considered to be. She's a woman, she's a virgin, And she's a peasant. Everything is working against her. And as the angel makes this declaration, begins to relay this message to her, that her womb is going to be responsible for carrying and birthing Israel's long-awaited Messiah, it would seem that Mary has every right to consider that the cost is too great or to consider that she is wholly unworthy of being used by God to such a degree. It would seem as though she had every right to consider that this kind of a miracle of God was too big for somebody like her. Yet, what I love about Mary is that as the angel is talking to her, it doesn't seem that Mary is caving to the pressure that society has put upon her. She doesn't even cave to the idea that because of her lowly status, God is wholly incapable of doing anything significant through her life. She doesn't consider the cost of possibly losing her reputation or ruining her family name or you fill in the blank. She doesn't consider that these are costs that are too great. Instead, after the angel relays this message that God has chosen her to be the one who would carry and birth Israel's Messiah, this is how she responds. Verse 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Watch this. Let it be unto me according to your word. At the risk of being misunderstood, 
at the risk of being maligned, at the risk of being mistaken, Mary responds to this declaration and in other words says, Lord, I'm yours. Do with my life whatever it is that you want to do. Yes, there, there is this initial consideration. Yes, there is this initial slight hesitation. But it seems that very quickly, Mary allows this consideration and this hesitation to be swallowed by the promises of God. That God was able to do through her what she could never fathom or dream of doing in herself. She sees her frailty and she sees her inability. But she believes, she receives the promise that the Holy Spirit will come to do in her and through her what she cannot do for herself. As a matter of fact, this would have been such an astounding thing to believe that just a few verses later she goes to meet her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth makes this prophetic declaration. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was promised to her by the Lord. Verse 45. And so the fact that Elizabeth blesses her in this way, blessing her that she actually believed this promise from God, it shows that this would in fact have been a very challenging thing for her to believe. Yet in spite of the challenge, In spite of the potential cost and conflict, Mary believes the Word of God to her life. And for the past two or three weeks, I can't get this question, this thought out of my mind. What if Mary had said What if she considered the cost too great? What if she considered herself entirely unworthy of being used by God in such a fashion and to such a degree? Now, I understand we can speculate. And maybe this morning we would begin to ponder the questions, well, if, if God wouldn't have, if Mary would have said no, and if Mary would have refused, and if Mary wouldn't have believed, then God would have found someone else. Either way, God's plan and God's purpose would have been forwarded, and whether Mary or not, you know, all of this. And I understand that point. I understand that in the grand scheme of things, God's purposes cannot be thwarted. But what I also see throughout Scripture is that when God begins to deal with a man or a woman concerning what He wants to do through their lives, God doesn't come to them and say, hey, this is what I want to accomplish through you by the power of my Spirit. And if you don't want to do it, it's okay, because somebody else will do the exact same thing that I was going to do through your life. I don't see that. What I see is God coming to people, speaking to them, saying, these are the things that I intend to accomplish through your life. And if you refuse to believe me, if you refuse to allow me by faith to do this work through your life, there are going to be people who suffer because of it. And I've pondered the question for weeks now. What if Mary, because of the societal norms of the day, 
Because she considered the cost too great. Because she considered herself unworthy of being used by God to such a degree. What if Mary would have responded to the angel and said no? I, I, I don't want to be a messenger for God. I, I don't want to be used by God in this capacity. I, I'm, I'm not of the elite class. I'm, I'm not super religious. My, my family is not reputable in, in, in our society and in our culture. I have all of these things working against me. And because of these things, there's no way that God could do such a thing through my life. And so no, instead of receiving it, I'm going to become recalcitrant and I'm going to refuse Refuse God His right to get glory through my life. And I want you to ponder for just a moment. If Mary had said no, think of the salvation that this world could have missed out on. Think of the deliverance, the freedom that has come through Jesus Christ as a result of her yes. Now, I'm sure in the moment her mind did not, even as Pastor Brandon was saying at the beginning of the service, her mind could not have fully grasped the weight and the severity of what was actually occurring through her life. But can I tell you this morning that Mary's yes, her faith-filled response to the angel's declaration, her faith-filled response made a way for Jesus Christ to come into this world to be born of a virgin, to live 33 and a half years of a sinless, spotless life, and then after those years to take that sinless life to a cruel, rugged cross and pay the price for every one of our sins. And then after three days in the grave to raise Himself up by the power of God, ascend back to the heavens and make a way for you and I to have a future that our minds cannot even begin to fathom or comprehend it all started with one woman's yes it all started with one person's willingness to say yes to what seemed so improbable and actually impossible to occur and to happen it all started with one person's yes can i tell you this morning that in the kingdom of god Little yeses make huge impacts. I want to say that again. That little yeses from little, simple, ordinary people in the kingdom of God make huge impacts. Simple yeses from ordinary people to an extraordinary God make extraordinary impacts. And so now I want to ask you, what is it that God desires to birth through your life that you are tempted to say no to? Or let me ask it another way, what would or what could God birth, manifest, reveal of heavenly proportion through your life as a result of your yes? What is it that you're tempted to say no to because you consider that the cost is too great 
or you consider yourself entirely unworthy of being used by God to such a degree? What promise is it that's too big, too challenging, too intimidating for you to say yes to? You see, oftentimes we abort or we reject the promises of God altogether because we have led ourselves to believe that nothing of heavenly magnitude or proportion could possibly be accomplished through our lives. We've failed too much. We're not from the right place. Our lineage is marred. My upbringing was bad. My failures were too great. My present weakness is too large. We lead ourselves to believe that because of our inconsistency and because of our inability, And because of sometimes our unwillingness that God is unable to be glorified through our lives in the measure that He intends to be glorified. So often we feel trapped by our human limitations and wholly incapable of fostering anything godly or consequential. But you see, despite all that was working against her, Mary believed that something eternal could be birthed through her life. And can I tell you that the thing, the person that was birthed through Mary's life, both confronted and demolished hell. Can I tell you that no one in that day would have believed that a little peasant girl from Nazareth could put hell to shame and could actually overcome it. But can I tell you that's exactly what happened. God anointed a little peasant girl with no reputation in the society of that day, nothing working for her, everything working against her, and He used her little insignificant life to bring about the greatest miracle this world has ever known. That's what God did. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you will yield your life to God, if you will give God your yes, there would be things birthed through your life that would put hell to shame and would overcome hell in your community. If you would yield your life to God, if you would say yes to God, if despite your doubts and despite your fears and despite your uncertainty, you would give Him your yes in spite of everything that is against you, I'm here to tell you that things would be, ha- things would be accomplished through you that would surprise this world for the glory of God. Things would be accomplished through your life that would defy the realm of natural human perception and understanding. People would marvel, not at you, but at the God that you serve if only you said yes to the promises of God for your life. Ephesians chapter 3 declares that it is through the church that God has chosen to manifest His eternal power and wisdom. It is through the church that God has chosen to create a testimony for both heavenly and hellish beings to wonder in amazement at, to marvel at. 
And beloved of God, the church means you. Not just the next guy. Not just the previous guy. Beloved of God, I'm speaking to you this morning. By the Spirit of God, the church means you. That means as insignificant and ordinary as you may feel this morning, it is you that has, that God has chosen to push back hell in this generation and to forward the kingdom of God. So often when we think of God doing great things, we think of Him doing those things through other people, but very seldom do we consider that He is willing and able to do those incredible things through us. But the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the entirety of the earth, searching for a heart that is His. And the Bible goes on to say that the reason for which He searches for those people is because He wants to come to those people and do incredible and miraculous things through their life. And if this is what God says, then why are we content living as though there is no hope for our world? Somebody talk to me right there this morning. I'm tired of Christians living as though there's no hope for our communities. I'm tired of Christians living as though there's no hope for our families. If this is the God that we serve, and this God says that these are the things that we want to do, why are we content living below His purposes for our lives? Living as though our communities are doomed. Living as though our families are doomed. Living as though our churches are doomed. In Ezekiel chapter 22, God came to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, I sought for someone through whom I can show mercy. It wasn't that God didn't want to do mighty and miraculous things in that generation. It was that God could not find a vessel through which He could do them. Instead of judgment, God wanted to send mercy. What has the world missed out on because of unbelieving believers? People who refuse to believe that the God of times past is the God of our present. People who refuse to believe that just as as God anointed men and women of old to tear down strongholds, to walk around Jericho walls until they crumbled and fell, to see dead people raised back to life, blinded eyes open, people changed eternally by the Spirit of God, that just as God has done it in times past, He is able to do it again in our generation. How many people have been trapped by the devil's lies? Believing that because of who they are and where they're from and what they've done, that God can't do what He desires to do through their lives. Beloved of God, I'm here to tell you this morning that there comes a time in our walk with God where we are forced, we are compelled by the Spirit of God to make a decision. And that decision is one that involves us believing what God has said about us or not. It's a decision that involves 
involves in agreeing with what He intends to do through our lives or not. It's a decision that you and I must make at some point in our walks with God to believe that something through us could actually be birthed that would change the course of our homes, our communities, and by the grace of God, even our nations. I'm telling you, beloved of God, there are things that God wants to do through your life that would affect the world around you for the glory of God. There are things that your mind cannot even begin to grasp, understand, or perceive right now that God would do through your life if you would simply give Him your yes. If you would stop residing in the place of unbelief and unwillingness, You would come out of the shadows of Satan's lies over your life and you would believe God's Word in spite of the things that may be working against you. And some of you this morning, I know where you are. Some of you are thinking this morning, you're wondering, you're pondering, how could this be? How could something so significant, so magnificent, Something so incredulous actually be birthed through my life by the Spirit of God that would perhaps change my home, that would perhaps change my community, would perhaps change my church. How is this possible? And I believe this morning that the angel's answer to Mary's hesitation is his answer to you. Listen to what the angel says. To Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Read it again, beloved of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And when this happens, nothing shall be impossible with God. That's God's answer to your hesitation this morning. That's God's answer to your question. It is the Spirit of God in you that makes all of these things possible. Stop equating your inability with God. Stop equating your limitations with His. We have many, but He has none. When God gets ready to bring His promises to pass through our, through our lives, it will be the Holy Spirit who comes and who does through us what we can never dream of doing in ourselves. Isn't this the message of the Gospel? It's God saving ordinary, sinful, insignificant people, washing them in His blood. And then filling him, filling them with His precious Holy Spirit so that He can anoint them and equip them and enable them to do things in this world that only God could do. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Power for what? Powers to be witnesses. That when people look at your life, your life, not just your speech, but your very life would be a witness to the reality of the fact that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is at work. That Jesus is not dead and in a tomb somewhere. Jesus is alive and He's alive in human beings. By the Spirit. 
And so don't abort the promise that God has placed within you this morning just because your present circumstances are difficult. Don't say no to God's plan for your life just because the promise is delayed and it's hard to make sense of what God is doing right now. I'm telling you this morning that if you, in spite of your doubts, if you will say yes to God in spite of your hesitations, the Holy Spirit will fill you with courage to walk in faith concerning His promises. I don't understand how He does it, but can anybody testify He does it? That even when you can't see, He's working. Believing for something that is not even reality yet. Believing for things that if you told people, they would say, you're crazy. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of depravity, in the midst of difficulty, your heart filled with courage concerning things that you cannot even see yet. I'm telling you, I don't know how He does it, but the Spirit of God does it. Have you ever believed for something that you couldn't make sense of? Come on, somebody talk to me right there. Have you ever had to believe for something that you could not see and you could not perceive in the natural? I'm telling you, I've walked with this brother of mine for years, and I can't tell you how many things we've shared with one another. Things that we were praying for. Things that we were believing for. And can I tell you this morning, by the grace of God, a lot of those things we're walking in right now. Come on, brother. Somebody say amen. Somebody say hallelujah. A lot of those things we're experiencing right now, we're walking in right now, we're living in right now, not because of us, but because the Spirit of God came upon us and said, you can believe me for the impossible. This is oftentimes the Christian life and experience. It's believing promises when it doesn't seem like promises can actually be reality. And Mary, even before the fulfillment of this promise, you go on to read throughout the rest of the chapter, Mary begins to sing and she begins to prophesy that there were going to be things birthed through her life that would literally affect the world as she knew it. Things would be birthed through her that would be of eternal magnitude and consequence. Things would be birthed through her that would literally affect generations to come. And beloved, this morning you never know the long-lasting and multi-generational effects that your yes will have. Your faith may not end up looking exactly like the next guy's. But the life of faith according to Hebrews chapter 11 will always be Rewarded by God. I don't know your life of faith. It might lead you to problems, prisons, persecutions. But can I tell you that if that kind of a life is lived in faith, that kind of a life is just as much a testimony for God as anyone else. The heroes of Hebrews chapter 11 are not heroes because of particular outcomes. They are heroes because they believed God. 
In spite of the cost, in spite of feeling inadequate and unworthy, they believed God. And as a result of it, yes, in different facets, yes, in different ways, but as a result of it, God was able to be glorified through every one of their lives. Some suffered martyrs' deaths, while others witnessed dead bodies raised to life. But of every one of them, the Bible says this world was not worthy. They lived on another plane. Their eyes were set on heaven. These men and women, they lived above the distractions, above the naysayers. Some of them didn't know where they were going from one day to the next, but they believed that God could actually be God through their lives. And I want to challenge you this morning to pray that God would speak to you. And maybe it is for the second, the third, the fourth. If you're like me, it's the millionth time until you get it through your thick skull and actually begin to ponder and believe the things that God intends to do with you. And so maybe it is for the millionth time time this morning but God in his grace if you will humbly ask him he will speak to you again he will revive your heart he will begin to remind you of his promises over your life and he's not only he's not always going to give you the entirety of the picture at the first and somebody say thank God he doesn't Because there's a lot of us who are experiencing the blessings of God today that perhaps would not have been willing to get to where we are because we realized what was going to come in between the promise and the fulfillment. And so thank God He doesn't give us the whole picture. But can I tell you that He does give us enough. He gives us enough to say yes. He gives us enough to make a decision. And so I want you to pray that God would speak to you again. But secondly, I want you to pray for courage. For courage to embrace whatever it is that God is speaking to you. I'm here to tell you this morning that this world needs another Mary. This world needs somebody, whether young or old, it doesn't matter. God's not bound by age. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by societal norms God just needs somebody who'll say yes somebody who will offer their life to God and say God what little I have I give to you and I trust that you can do big things with the little things that I do have Renee would you come or whoever's going to come with you in 50 years from now I pray that someone would say What if new beginnings had said no? How different would our communities be? How unchanged, untransformed would our family be if new beginnings had said no? What if Brandon Trott had said no? If it doesn't encourage, if anything doesn't encourage you this may, look at what God has already done. 
Look at what He's already done as a result of a couple of people's yes. Look at the blessings of God that are already yours through Christ Jesus because of a few people in spite of difficulty, in spite of distraction. A few people in spite of feeling inadequate, in spite of feeling too weak and too insignificant. A few people, a family of God who just said yes to God, a spiritual family. A few people who, through difficulty, through darkness, through misunderstandings, said yes. And look around you this morning. Look around you next Sunday. And look what God has already done. And that should encourage you to continue to say yes. For they heard from God and they responded to Him in faith. Beloved, I want to challenge you this morning that what you need is not some new promise. What you need is not some new revelation per se. You need to hear this morning the Spirit of God whisper to you again that you are highly favored. Because that's the challenge for us, isn't it? We live with ourselves, and so it's difficult for us to see how God could be glorified through such a marred vessel. Somebody help me right there. We live with ourselves, and so it's hard to see how God could actually be glorified through somebody who's so messed up. I'm preaching my own message this morning. It's hard for us to perceive how God could be glorified through weak, insignificant, ordinary me. We often think God has this thing about us, this mindset about us, that He despises us because of our weakness. He's this angry Father. But if you're His child, beloved of God, He's no longer your judge. He's no longer a wrathful, vengeful, angry Father. By the Spirit this morning, He would say to you the same thing the angel said to Mary. You are favored by God. God delights in you. Beloved, He sees you so differently than what you often see yourself. He loves you. He sees you so differently than what oftentimes other people do. You know, I shared with you the testimony. Would you stand to your feet all over the house of God? I shared with you the testimony concerning the victory that God's brought about in our lives. But I want you to know this morning that my wife and I experienced the victory of Christ even before she was ever brought out of the wheelchair. For the first year and a half or two years of being in the wheelchair, I remember my wife being so discouraged. She lived in a state of despair because everything in her she wanted to be the mom she wanted to be the wife she she wanted to be everything that she felt God had created her to be but she was convinced that because of her limitations physically that she couldn't be what God wanted her to be and by all natural estimation I I guess it was right she was limited and she was incapable of being everything that God had called her to be. 
But after about two years of suffering in that despair and in that depression, I watched as she began to press into the Lord. And I watched as God began to do things in her life. He began to speak to her. He began to assure her. He began to remind her of His promises to her life. And after those two years, she was still in a wheelchair. But can I tell you, she began to taste of the victory. I watched God give her the victory before she ever got out of the wheelchair. And wheelchair and all, she would walk into church, she would wheel into church, and she would lift her hands and glorify God, and she would lay hands on people, and God would use her to encourage people. And I'm saying all that to say that your limitations, whether physical, spiritual, emotional, all of these things, whatever they are, they don't keep you from being a testimony from God. Your limitations are not His. God can give you the victory, wheelchair and all. You might be in a wheelchair spiritually or emotionally, but God can use your life to put hell to shame and to forward the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you with all of my heart for speaking to us today through your word. Father, I pray in the next few moments, my God, that you would take this word, my God, and it would drop, Lord, like a fruitful seed into a ground into a tilled ground, God, one that is ready to be watered. My God, let the seed of your word find a place for harvest this morning, God, in every heart and in every life. Speak to us, Lord. Deal with us, my God. My God, take the truths that we've talked about this morning and make them so real to us that we would know, God, as we leave this place, that we are leaving changed. We're leaving touched by the Spirit of God. I just want to invite you that if you need God to speak to you again this morning, if you need Him to remind you of His promises, if you just say, God, I don't know what you want to do with my life, but I want to be another Mary. I want to challenge you to talk to the Lord this morning. You can find a place in the altars, find a place in your seat, but can you just for a few moments let God stir your heart this morning by the Spirit of God. Let Him remind you of who He is. Let Him remind you of what He can do. It's not dependent upon what you are and who you are and what you can do. It's dependent upon Him. So find a place and talk to the Lord this morning. Let Him speak to you in the Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.